1: So this episode, so many people have asked me um, what books I read throughout my life that really made a difference or stuck with me. So I decided I would podcast about it with Halston and just go through the books that kind of stuck with me. I had, I think, three or four different kind of categories. We only made it through one. <laughs> this was like the self-help, self-exploration category. Uh, um mental health category. I also have like a fiction category. I have a, um, financial category and I have, uh, I think an autobiography or biography category, memoir type category. So we'll do those on another time, but the links to all these books are going to be on my website, wifeotp.com click through it'll click you straight to Amazon where you can purchase the book or just check the book out. I know most public libraries have an online, um, library now, where you can check out audiobooks and digital books from a library for free. So this is definitely something you could explore without spending any money. And that would be awesome in this crazy time. So, so yeah, so here's my, here's my list of self-help, mental health, self-care, self-education <laughs> books. And I hope you enjoy them. Did you enjoy the podcast, Halton?
0: Yeah, I thought it was a lot of fun. And I, I love talking about all the self-help stuff and you told me about new books and and i went through just a couple of my favorite snippets of self-help books that i love and that's helped me over the years so yeah had a good time
1: it was awesome it was a, i thought it was a really good episode so thanks for being part of it thank you
0: no problem
1: all right oh i forgot you know if you haven't already go on to freewaters.com this flip flop is flipping awesome this is like, I don't, I don't know if it's canvas and foam. It's like the old school flip flops from the seventies that used to have a rainbow strap. People from the seventies. Remember these, they're so freaking comfortable. They're not a sponsor, but they're offering like, um, I don't remember what the percent off is. It may be 20, it may be 15% off at freewaters.com. If you put, um, W O T P in the coupon code. So, um, check them out. I don't know. They have lots of flip flops and they're really reasonably priced and they have art support. See that art support? They have rubber ones too, like full rubber. But I love this cloth. They're really comfortable. Freewaters is a great co- company. We're not, they seriously aren't sponsoring my podcast. I just, I like to tell people about cool things. and am still provide um, Christina's company is still running her special. There's a, a click through on my website. There's a click through also for this. It's on wifeotp.com. Links to great things. And you can just click through to get the promo code for this and for Christina and for my friend, Natalie, who makes jewelry. Her jewelry is awesome. It's all kind of, um, oh, what's it called? Natural stone. Um, and it's really pretty and it's really reasonably priced. So if you have a birthday coming up, that will be a good gift. Just saying. So I, yeah, supports a small business, right? Free Waters, believe it or not, seems like a big company, but it's actually kind of a small business um they you know two guys started this company just by themselves that's really cool so it's another good one just everybody buys rainbows and reef right might be cool to get something different anyway anyway i hope you enjoy this book club sort of book list book discussion leon's
0: favorite books
1: leon's favorite books Or Leanne's Most Helpful Books or something like that. Anyway, I hope you enjoy it. And email me any books that you thought were just like, wow, mind-blowing, because I'm always interested in knowing what they are. Thanks for coming back every week.
0: (laughs) I rode my bicycle past your window last night.
1: Okay, so books. I organized the books in categories. I said this up a long time ago. So I kind of started with self-help. And these are in no particular order. I didn't order them like, this was the most important. They were all important for different reasons. So I'm just going to go through the books. And I'll put a link up on my website, wifeotp.com, under the tab, Food for Thought. So if you go to Food for Thought, there'll be a link to every book. And it'll take you straight to Amazon so you can buy a book. And if you click that link, I make like a (laughs) dollar. So if you, or maybe not even that much, maybe 50 cents. But if you click through that link and buy a book, I make a little bit. So that would be cool. I mean, it's literally... A little bit. It's like I make like four dollars a month from Amazon. No joke. I check my monthly, and I'm like, "Wow, I cracked five bucks this month. This is amazing." <laughs> so it's not a big money maker, but it's kind of cool to get five bucks. You know, makes you feel validated somehow. And hey, five bucks is Starbucks, right? Yeah, the Starbucks. Anyway, first book I have, and a lot of my books are beat up because they're my books that I've had forever. It's this book called. Dreams into action by Milton Kutsellis. So I took an acting class and he was the teacher. He was a Scientologist. He has passed away, but um, he was a Scientologist. And this is not a book about Scientology at all, but I think it's a lot of the principles of Scientology um, geared toward having your best life. So it was a really valuable book to me uh, because I'm a person type of person that if I can identify something verbally, then I can work on it. Like if I can say um, I'm stubborn when I argue and I don't really want to be stubborn when I argue. So maybe I'll stop. That's why these problems keep continuing is because I'm continually being stubborn. Well, then I can start working on being stubborn. But if I just go, well, I don't know why I keep having these problems. I, I personally can't make any change. So one of the things this book does is kind of break things down into a labeled problem. And I don't think this kind of mental health approach works for everybody, but it definitely works for me. The way my brain works. So like there's I just flipped this open to one called blame, right? This is about how blame heaven is this one. It's about how people blame other people for what's not happening or is happening in their life that's bad. So if you can identify in your day-to-day life where you're perhaps blaming someone else for something that is really not their fault or Maybe is there a fault, but you're attaching to it too much you're giving it too much power. If you can identify that, you can let go of it or you can decide not to attach to that. So this book is full of stuff like that the the belief in scarcity scarcity is a big one in this book that there's no scarcity in life. If you believe there's scarcity, then there is. But if you believe there's not, even when you're in a place of not having very much money, maybe not having very much food, your perspective about it changes your energy in your body. And I think that changes scarcity. It brings abundance to you. But if you just focus on, I don't have, I don't have, I don't have, then guess what? You continue to not have.
0: You know what's funny is I, I've been thinking about that a lot the past few years after kind of realizing like, Cause my girlfriend grew up with, with, uh, with some money, you know, she lived on the water in Seattle and after being, after being with her for a while and just, just kind of going over our two different childhoods, I realized like, I, we were very poor, it seems, you know, and, uh, my dad, my dad's a police officer and he's a retired military and we did well in the military because we were in the military in the housing and like, free houses and all that stuff. We were all over the world. I had no idea. So when we moved to Oregon when I was 13, um, we moved into this tiny manufactured home. And and I never once thought that we had scarcity. You know what I mean? Like, I always, always believed that money would come to me and success would come to me. I've always had that drive. I've always believed that I could make money doing things that I like to do because there's no other option for me. The way my brain works, there's no other option for me. I'm, I. It's like Bert and Isla. Like they can't have like a desk job all day, every, like five days a week selling insurance or anything like that. They would go nuts. Yeah, I'm. I'm the same way. I, I have a problem with, uh, with authority because <laughs> no mil- military dad cop dad rules and stuff like that I'm sure um so I've I've kind of always known that about myself like I didn't really like most of the teachers because they were high on power I, I don't like people who are high on power right right um I don't either you know what I mean so I that stuff just doesn't work with me but anyways the whole point of that was um my mindset has never been oh wow we're poor oh wow look at all these things we don't have oh i only have one pair of shoes at a time um I Well might- you're lucky
1: because oh, i think we- a lot of people live in a scarcity mindset yeah and it's not necessary there's a scarcity mindset is different than pragmatic or real- realistic mindset yes right? Living in reality doesn't attach any emotion, I don't think, to it. Scarcity is emotional, is fear-based, right? There's never enough. So you're lucky that you didn't have that perspective. Um, A lot of people have that perspective in the back of their mind and don't even know they have it. So then that's one of the things about this book is that you read this And he he puts conversations in here. So-and-so says this, they said that, they said this, they said that. And you go, oh, I've had those conversations before. And I'm that, I've been that person before. So, okay, maybe I have this mindset and I don't realize it. It's a really cool book. Um, I learned a lot from this book. And I I recall this book a lot, a lot of the labels. There's a label called, uh, or a term called a a Hamal, H-A-M-A-L. And that is like a beast of burden. So he says, are you a Hamal? Are you always the one that does the grunt work? Are you always the one that's underappreciated? Are you always the one that sacrifices? Are you always the one that carries more than everybody else? Then you're a Hamal and that's not okay. You need to figure out how to not be that person who's stomped on and pushed around and taken advantage of. And there's just he just really breaks things down to something really identifiable. And I it was very helpful for me, this book. So I don't know.
0: Interesting. So you you felt that way and when you read it it clicked for you and you go, I feel yes.
1: Like yes. The Hamal in particular, because I was writing with a writing partner at the time and we would all both present our ideas. We never, we wrote eight scripts. We never wrote one of my ideas ever, but I'm such a team player. I'd go, okay, you want to work on yours? Let's do it. And I would work on it 100%. But after a certain point in time, I go, well, I don't think my ideas are bad. My ideas are actually good, but I never, I never fight and say, you know what? We've done three of your ideas. Let's work on one of mine. I, I never did that. So that's the piece that, was missing for me where I never really stood up for myself because I always believed that I would get my turn. My turn will come. I have that perspective too, which is a great perspective to have. But when you look at it in a larger picture, I wrote eight screenplays with this woman and all eight of them were her ideas. And I had lists and lists of ideas that I thought were amazing that she was like, Yeah, that's really great. But mine yeah, that's really awesome. But mine, so at a certain point you go, well, at some point you, you'd like a a relationship to go, but yours is awesome also, unless do yours, but that never happened. So I had put myself in that relationship in the place of being a Hamal.
0: So you never um, have the mindset now of my, my, my turn will come for too long. You don't want to have that mindset for too long. I think so. It has. Yeah. I mean, I guess y- you have to be realistic with it as well. Right. Yes. Go, my time will come as well. Yeah. And if it's really not happening, if you, f- if you are feeling like it's, it's too lopsided for my time to come. Yeah. That's when you need to start making changes in your life.
1: Yes. And you know, this streams into action book is something, something I-, I think that's implied. I don't remember that it was said implicitly but it's implied that your reality is created by you it is not created by other people so if you're in an imbalanced relationship what part of that is you because that's really all you can deal with so are you being a hamal in this relationship for me that writing relationship it was a yes so that's my responsibility so then I could say well I don't want to be that in this relationship. So I can speak up and say, Hey, I feel like we've written all of your scripts. I'd like for us to write one of mine and let the chips fall where they may, but, and then be okay. Even if she says no, then you go, okay, well, I maybe need to move on because I don't want to be in a relationship, whatever that relationship is where I don't get some balance. You know, it's not about me getting mine, you getting yours. It's about some kind of balance and a win, win, and, and I don't know, this, this book helped me with stuff like that.
0: Were you afraid of conflict at the time?
1: I, I don't know if I, I think I probably was afraid of conflict a little bit. Um,
0: or afraid of ruining your partnership or something.
1: I think probably, I think it was very complicated. I think both of those things were present, but I think also I didn't value myself. I wasn't confident yeah. enough in my ideas. To stand up and say, no, mine are good also. So let's do that also. And I grew into that confidence. I think after getting away from that relationship and getting involved with Bert, and just in the just in the realm of writing, when he tells me stuff I have positive or negative reaction to, I have no I I learned from that experience where I go, well, I'm the one carrying around that I don't feel good because I did or didn't say something. So I should say something and then I don't have to carry that around anymore. And and when he's not being the best, I have to say, hey, you're not being the best. Don't do that. I don't like that. It may not change how he functions, but it definitely changes how I feel about myself. So even if I say, I don't like it when you do this and he, I mean, obviously he doesn't do anything bad. We're clearly happily married, but there's uh, in every marriage, there's something that bothers you, annoys you, inconveniences you. um, And you say, hey, could you not do that anymore? And of course, people forget they're in habits. They keep doing it. But at least I don't feel like a Hamal because I have said, hey, can you not do that anymore? So I've taken care of myself. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it gets you out of a hole. I mean, if if you're constantly a Hamal, then you're digging yourself deeper and deeper and deeper into this hole of being walked all over by everyone in your life. And then that being a hamal in this area of your life transfers over to that area. That, of your life, yes. And then you're just like, why am I so unhappy? And why, how come I'm not getting as much as I should out of my relationships and friendships? Exactly. Yeah. I think it's, I think once you decide to, um, stand up for yourself and not be a hamal, then you, you, are on an even playing field with yourself.
1: Yeah, that's right. You're kind of more in reality in um, a realist. I think when you are able to identify some of these things, it balances. So you're not too optimistic. You're not too pessimistic. You're kind of like what's actually happening and how do I take care of myself in that context?
0: Yeah. Know, I've, been, yelled, I've been, I being in, um, bands, I was, uh, I I will never forget this argument. My drummer was the most pessimistic person in the world. And it was really, really annoying. And I'm extremely optimistic. I believe that good things are always going to come to me and, you know, things work out. And especially in like the music world when we're just practicing and playing shows, you know, it's pretty cut and dry. But anyways, I'll never forget that he w- he he yelled at me and and said that I'm too optimistic and like not everything is rosy and not everything is this and that. And I've been thinking about that for years. Really, years? Yes. Um, I, obviously that was a reflection inside himself. He he's vastly unhappy and sees somebody who sees the brighter side in life, and. I was young, twenty-one years old at the time, and so he—I he, think he felt threatened by that, or something like that. I, I, I'm not sure, but I'll, I'll never forget that. And I'm—and then I, I just sit back and go, "Am I delusional?
1: <laughs>
0: Do I just think everything is good? Like, what, what, what is wrong? Is there something wrong with me, really?" Right? But no. Um,
1: well, it's funny, you know what? When stuff like that sticks with you it sticks with you for a reason.
0: Yeah.
1: I, if it didn't hit some kind of nerve, yeah, you would yeah. never have thought about it again. So when I have stuff like that that comes back over and over, I have to go, why? Like you said, am I delusional? Now, you're not delusional, but why did that bother you so much? Do you have a judgment on people who are overly optimistic yourself? Or do you feel like that makes you vulnerable? Do you feel like that makes you only see one side of the coin and never look at the other side of the coin why did that trigger something that keeps coming back why
0: yeah i have no idea um maybe maybe just thinking like um that i have it wrong that that things don't always work out that 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 things um, n- not everything I look at should be like turned into a positive, but I don't think that's true. No, I don't and either. my life has worked out in the seven years since, like miraculously, a lot of different miracles happened to me just because I, I had that energy with me. And I, I had that, um, those, that thought pattern and, and, and I can look at a situation and I can weigh it out properly. I feel like Mm -hmm. I can look at it and go, okay, here's the negative of this situation. And here's the positive. Does the positive outweigh the negative? Yeah. Then I'm going to look at it positively. I don't, it just doesn't make sense to me, but that guy's, you know, got fired from a fabric store. So,
1: well, you know what they say, Halston, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So maybe (laughs) you're just not broke
0: maybe I'm not broke.
1: Maybe you're not broke. Maybe you're not as broke as you think you are.
0: No, I don't. I never thought I did, but, um, him saying that to me just, just, has always stuck with me and, and, and I'm, I wonder what that's about.
1: I don't know. Something to think about. Yeah. All right. Next book. I've talked about this before. Trapped in the mirror. This is a book about narcissism. And it was one of those books for me. Um, it's, it's written for the children of narcissists, adult children of narcissists and their struggle for self pretty much sums it up. Uh, this book was extremely important for me. I did not have a label for what I felt was going on with my mom and what my experience of, of her as a mom was. And when I read this book, I just remember over and over going, Oh my God. Oh my God was someone hiding in the closet and taking notes on my life and then writing it in this book. It was such, um, like I felt my innards shift because all of a sudden I just had answers to things. And it's funny, the feeling I've said this so many times, but the feeling of knowing that you're not alone is so freeing. Because I read this book and I went, oh, my God, there are other people who completely understand what it was like, what my experience was like and what my memory of those experiences were like. Um, And I have several friends who have similar parents to my mom, parent or parents. And anybody who's read this book has had the same reaction that have the similar parents. Oh my God. I think someone was hiding in the closet, taking notes. It's just an enlightening book about narcissism and how, um, children, how it affects your psyche when you're raised by a, a someone who is really narcissistic, like as an, as a disorder, as a personality disorder, uh, you really don't, have you are not allowed to have a sense of self when you that is your parent um i would i felt i was not allowed to have a sense of self independent of that person's opinions voices uh plans i i couldn't stray from that
0: you started off as a hamal. i mean
1: i was told to be that that was my only option
0: it was your only option so yeah. you started life In the negative, like you started life underground.
1: You're right. Yes. As a beast of burden, I had to carry whatever load she gave. And that's right. That's very insightful of you. Um, So anyway, this book was just revolutionary for me. It probably wouldn't be for a lot of people who don't have parents or relatives, sisters, grandparents, aunts, uncles, anybody who treated you this way. Probably wouldn't mean much to you. But to me, it was a really important book.
0: Yeah, but if you do have a narcissistic family member that you have to read that book. It's I think so. that you read that book so that you understand your childhood and your mom or dad or whoever it is and you can try to like get out of the ground.
1: And how to take care of yourself in the present day. Yeah. Cuz you know what this book said basically. So my mom when I was 13 I moved in with my dad and didn't hear from my mom for a very long time. She like this is she she told me this. I don't know if it's true or not, but she told me at the time she had burned all my baby pictures, all every photograph of me, and she had given away. I spent my entire childhood collecting Barbie dolls. I had box after box after box of Barbie dolls. And I worked when I was a child. She she was a model, so she had me in modeling and acting when I was really young, even though I didn't really want to do it. So I had my own money and I spent all of my money on Barbies. I loved my Barbies and I had left them at her house when I moved to my dad's and she uh, threw them away. So I didn't see her for a while. And then, and then we had another break when I was 23 and another break when I was, when we were 33 and After that 33 break is when I found this book when I was, after I was 33 years old. Wow. So after that, it explained how someone with this type of disorder has two options in a relationship, complete enmeshment, which means I am an extension of her or complete separation that the narcissist can't tolerate anything other than those two options. So after the third time when she said, you're dead to me. I don't want to know. You don't want to know your children. I never want to see you again. Um, she emailed that to me. I still have the email. So she said all those things. And I, then I read this book and I went, I feel so much better because after the third time of her saying you're dead to me, you're no longer my daughter. I don't want to see you again ever. You know, every time I would try to fix it, I would go, there must be something I can do. There must be something I did well, you know, I wasn't the perfect child. I made this mistake, this mistake, this mistake. So I should really apologize. I should try to make better because I'm a relatively healthy person. And if you are assuming the other person in a relationship is also relatively healthy, then those things would work. We'd apologize, we'd reconcile, and we would start over. But when someone is unhealthy to this extent, that isn't possible. It's not possible to work. Or my experience of it is it's not possible for it to work. So when I read in this book, it's not possible for that to work. I went, okay, well, now I can really lay this down. You know, I can really, she said, I don't want to see you. Don't want to know you don't want to know your children. You're dead to me. You're no longer my daughter when I was 33. Then, okay, no problem. I get it. You can't tolerate anything other than me being totally exactly who you want me to be. And I'm never going to do that. So I can wow. let it go.
0: That's a really long time. 33.
1: That's yeah, a I was really old. long
0: time to, to live, not understanding your mom, Yeah, understanding all the trauma you went through growing up.
1: Yeah, it was a long time for sure.
0: I'm so um, glad that you, found that book and that you were able to go, holy shit, that's me.
1: Yeah, me too. It was very powerful. So anybody, I'm sure they write books for people who have parents who are alcoholics, for people who have parents who are schizophrenic, who have bipolar. Um, I'm sure there are books out there similar to this, but about whatever issue, if you have a parent that has one, I would highly recommend reading it because again, I did not feel alone. I understood myself and my relationship with my mother So, so much better from one book than I had from years of therapy because I, I, for whatever reason, none of my therapists knew about this book. Um, I found it and I don't even remember how I found it. I think someone recommended it to me. It found you. It found me. That's right. That's right. Okay. Next book. I have a lot of books. So (laughs) this one, one day my soul just opened up. I read this book a long time ago. It's by Ian love Zant, and she has um, Super Soul Sundays on Own. I think is what it's called. But this book was really important for me. It's very God-related. It's very much about your faith and spirituality, and she uses God. You can use Buddha, Jesus. Allah whoever but I think for me this belief in a higher power and in putting your hands in someone else uh, not someone but in a higher powers power is um also very liberating and she she basically it's like 40 days and 40 nights towards spiritual strength and personal growth so she has something that you do every day in this book. She also, I think has a journal type book that goes with this that I did many, many years ago, but I don't still have that book. I don't know where it is. But like this chapter is about honoring yourself. And she just talks about how, how do we honor ourselves and how do we not? And just kind of brings to the awareness, your connection with your, yourself and your higher self, which is what some people call God. Um, and this book, I, you know, have that Bible and I probably have 15 quotes from this book in that Bible. So at the time I read this book, this book was really important for me to, cause you know, my mother was into transcendental meditation and my dad was a Southern Baptist and I resonated with parts of both of those, but parts of both of those really turned me off. You know where I was like I don't believe that drinking is a sin. I'm sorry, I know that Southern Baptists do. I don't, so I can't go to that church and feel like this is my home if I just don't believe that. So then, and then with the Maharishi Mahishi Yogi stuff, I just I'm not gonna I'm not gonna eat macrobiotic. I'm not going to, (laughs) and I don't know if that was required, but that was what was required in my house. So. There was a lot of that that I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to meditate every day. It does, I don't want to do that, and I don't want it to be in this regimented, like you were saying, the authority figure. I
0: yeah. think I
1: felt so oppressed by my mom that I didn't want to feel oppressed by a religion. Right? You can't have sex. You can't drink. You can't, you know, do all these things in Southern Baptist. and then you you must meditate for one hour a day every day. Uh, three times a day. Uh, It's too regimented for me. So this book for me, I think, helped me figure out what my faith was. And I don't have a religious faith. I just very much believe in a higher self and a higher power and that there are, that things happen as they should. And there is free will. You can make choices that lead you down a bad path or you can make choices that lead you down a good path. And all of it comes back to your connection with the higher self that is not connected to ego or attitude or anger. It's really connected to some pure feelings like love and acceptance and joy and play. And that's what I got from this book. It's a good that's book. really awesome.
0: While you were saying that I was thinking about um, how I grew up in the church. I grew up very, very Christian church every Sunday for a very long time. And then as I grew up, I started going, What what why? And then I think my problem with authority also kicked in to an extent. And I'm like, I don't understand how um masturbation is wrong or yeah. like you said, drinking yeah. or sex. Or tattoos or like just stuff, stuff like that I understand the concept of the fact that your body is a temple but um, but why do I have to sit down with a bunch of 40 50 year old guys in a group and say I masturbated I'm 13 right uh, I feel horrible I, I'm so yeah. sorry like yeah uh, okay no. God take away that my sins I didn't stop for one day, of course,
1: <laughs> but I
0: think that's so weird that, that, that happens. You know what I yeah, mean? It like does. that's and so, not in,
1: in every religion. It's it, not just Christianity.
0: Yeah. In yeah. Yes. It's very weird to sit down with older men and talk like that. And they're like, Oh, and then meanwhile, that same church, the pastor, uh, stood up one day and resigned because he was cheating on his wife and had a porn addiction and was doing all these things. And it's like, this is the dude who's like telling my mom that she's not going to be allowed in the church because somebody said that a guy had his arm around my sister's shoulder at a football game. My God, dude. And so ever since then, I was like, I don't know what this stuff is, but I do not like it. What I do love is worship. yeah. I love music and worship yeah. and I love um I love celebrating life mm-hmm. i think I think celebrating life once a week is so fucking healthy and gratitude, I mean, I grew up with gratitude. you say thanks to God for everything he's given you and stuff like that right but um it's it's the same thing. As just straight gratitude across the board, where you're like, I'm so grateful for this. I'm so grateful for that. Right. It shifts your mind into positivity instead of being negative all the time. And yeah. I, I think that's where that comes from. I always, always thought, oh, God's got my back. Oh, right. God has a better plan for me. Or, oh, God has a big picture. So as a young kid, it, it makes you think about the bigger picture. It makes you think positively I think Mm
1: -hmm.
0: so yeah as you were saying that I just was thinking oh maybe that's where my like super optimistic side comes from is from Christianity
1: maybe you know church there's so much value in going to church don't get me wrong I love the music too I love the the fellowship I love seeing uh, other people and knowing so many people in my community through church I love that some of the some of the principles and the judgment I didn't like, um, but I I pray every single day, every night before I go to sleep. I I say the Lord's prayer and then I say um, I say what I'm grateful for or anything I'm struggling with, and then I go to sleep because I know it's been handled. Right, it's going to be handled. This is what's going on. I know you already know what's going on up there, but I'm telling you that I know was going on also. So help me here.
0: (laughs) You really really do fall asleep like a Mormon.
1: I fall asleep like a Mormon, right? Right after prayer. I say (laughs) the Lord's prayer and then I say whatever I need to say. And then I am asleep. Sometimes I fall asleep in the middle of the Lord's prayer and have to start over because I don't know where I fell asleep. Anyway, one day my soul just opened up. Okay. This book is so good. And Bert Kreischer gave me this book when we were dating. It's called The War of Art by Steven Pressfield. Man, this is a good book. This book is about resistance mm. and how we resist what we want. I want to be a writer. I got to go to the grocery store. I really need to work out. I should probably plant those marigolds I bought last week instead. I need a nap, I'm so tired from my day job. And he addresses like resistance in all different places, resistance in the universe, resistance is infallible, resistance plays for keeps, resistance only opposes in one direction. It's fueled by fear. He just kind of goes through all the excuses you give yourself for not doing what you wanna do. And he directs it toward art. Stephen Pressfield is a writer. I think he wrote, uh, the legend of Bagger Vance and several other things. Look at your kitty cat. Uh, so hey. cute. Come meow, on. meow, meow. Meow, meow, meow. Um, but so his is geared sort of toward writing cause that's his personal experience. But I think you can really apply it to selling insurance. Why haven't I called that person back? Ah, oh, that person talks too much. I don't want to deal with it. You know, no one wants to deal with sitting down and starting a painting. It's overwhelming to sit there and go, what am I going to put on this canvas? So he talks about uh, resistance, inspiration, what inspires you to allow more of that to happen in your life. And it seems like a simple book, but I've read this book over and over because every time I feel highly motivated and I've learned something I didn't learn the last time, I read it and I've recommended this book I don't even know how many people and every single person is like trapped in the mirror. They come back and go, this was the kick in the pants. I needed. This is what I needed.
0: I had to read that book. You should. It seems like it deals a lot with uh, writer's block or, or, you know, it does artistic blocks and stuff like that. And I, I read the artist way and that, that really helped me. Yeah. I don't always feel like I have that. Um, I've never been afraid to go after what I want, but sometimes being creative or the thought of being creative is like staring up at a mountain and I go, I have this song that I want to record and do, but I know that it's gonna take me hours and hours and I'm gonna be exhausted because I already work on my computer and I'm I just I, I should probably rest. I should rest my my brain and my, my hands and like <laughs> I should and so I, I have all these excuses where I'm but I know that I could just spend an hour recording a guitar track and then say, okay, I'm just going to, that's it. Just an hour. I'm going to do that. And then I'll rest. And then I know I'll feel so good. Right. I know that I'll feel so accomplished and I'll feel talented and I'll feel so good about, Oh, I'm so good at guitar. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I got to read that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. As much as this book is about, I was going on a bike ride. As much as this book is about art is, it's, It's winning the inner creative battle. But I think creativity exists everywhere. If you're a contractor, there's creativity. If you sell insurance, there's creativity. If you're a nurse, it's in every single facet of our life. So even though it sounds like, and he writes it, like I said, from an artist's point of view, I think everybody can get something out of this book. It's a great book.
0: Yeah. Creativity doesn't always have to be artsy-fartsy kind of people like me.
1: Problem solving is creativity. Yeah. You cannot problem solve without creativity. So if you are an ER nurse, what are you doing all day? Problem solve, problem solve, problem solve. So you're highly creative. So I, find, I think creativity is an, is an accountant has to be creative sometimes with their numbers. Yeah. To help their client. So it's everywhere. It's not just in the arts. Okay. This next book is another one of those books. Bert and I went to Hawaii with the kids. And I spent my whole trip reading this stupid book because it was so good, I could not stop reading it. And I know a lot of people love her, but it is Daring Greatly by Brene Brown. This book talks about a lot of stuff, but my biggest takeaway was how she talked about shame versus guilt and what was the difference and how they affect you. And how people who don't attach to shame tend to be more healthy Uh, because when you attach your, well, let me see if I remember this. It's been several years since I've read the book, but I kept, (laughs) I couldn't put the book. We're in Hawaii. And I just kept going, I just got to keep reading this book. So I'd be at the pool reading the book, at the beach reading the book, in the hotel room reading the book. And I kept going, Bert, listen to this. She says, blah, 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 blah. Listen to this the whole trip. But I so I may not quote her exactly but this is what I remember from the book. If if you've been shamed by your parents or your teachers or your coaches and you you know attach to that shame that affects how you feel about who you are. Right? So if you're being shamed by a coach and you feel guilty, ah oh, I did fuck that up. Ah, that was kind of wrong. It doesn't attach to who you are. It's just a mistake. So people who can shift into having guilt instead of shame heal faster. So if you can look through your life at where you feel shame and you can adjust your perspective into, you know, th- that wasn't who I am. It was a mistake and people make mistakes and people have made mistakes on me, and I forgive them, or I don't, but it doesn't define who I am. If you can make that shift, it it generates a lot of healing. And I thought that was so powerful. She says so much more in that book. Her daring greatly, I think, was to dare, well, here it is, how the courage to be vulnerable transforms the way we live, love, parent, and lead. So I think looking at those deep feelings of shame is so vulnerable because I think, and I think she says in this book, shame is the most powerful emotion, negative emotion.
0: That's why some religions grab that.
1: That's right. Because it controls you because it's deep, very deep. So for her to kind of suss that out a little bit and explain it uh, again, I was able to find the pieces, where I had shame and kind of focus on them. Like I had some shame still left over from my date rape from college. And when I had, I was able to identify those feelings as shame, then I went, well, why am I, why am I ashamed of this moment or of this behavior I chose to do? Why can't I just shift that into, dang, that was a big fucking mistake. Um, or that was a terrible moment in my life instead of attaching to now I'm dirty. Now I'm gross. Now this is, this was, you know, what a victim I am or whatever it was I was attaching to. It was just really helpful for me because again, I'm a label person. If you can label it as shame, then I can go, well, I don't want any shame. So how do I heal that? I I, I pull that, that, that weed out of the garden. Makes sense.
0: Yeah. I don't want any shame.
1: We don't deserve to have any shame unless you are a truly horrible human being who have done horrible things to other people. Then you should be ashamed, I think. And shame should motivate you to change somehow, you know? I don't know.
0: I'm not sure. Do horrible people feel shame? I feel like some of the people I've run into.
1: No, I don't think they do. I think that's the problem. That's the problem.
0: Yeah. The people who go, oh, I feel shame. Oh, I better work on that. Oh, I want to change that. Those are good people.
1: Yeah, that's true it's true. But great book. And I think she reads the, the audiobook and she's got a great voice. She's I don't know if I actually got to see her live uh talk about another book she has called I can see the cover, but I can't see the name of it. It's one of her later books so she just wrote recently. But um she's so entertaining. She's from Texas and she's super entertaining. So this would be a great book audiobook. Um because I'd imagine it'd be very entertaining. Okay. She
0: have a Netflix show.
1: I think she she does have a Netflix show. She did an amazing TED Talk about what she talks about in Daring Greatly. That's really famous. It's really well known. Um, and she has a podcast. Um, I don't listen to her podcast. I probably should because I think I would love it. But yeah, she has a podcast and uh, she's just amazing. She's a let me think. She's a professor of sociology. I think. Um pretty sure. Licensed social worker. A license, yes, right here. License something, social work.
0: She's a PhD and a professor, professor, lecturer, author, and podcast host. She's yeah. a endowed chair at the University of Houston's Graduate College of Social Work and a visiting professor in management. At the School of Business at the University of Texas.
1: She got it going on. She yes, do.
0: She's killing it.
1: Okay, the next book. This book, and people who've lived longtime listeners to my podcast have heard me talk about Scott, the like shaman healer guy. When I was working with him, he gave me this book and it blew my mind. Um, it is uh, I, The Prophet. You can see it here. The Prophet by Khalil Gibran. People may say that's a hacky book because it's, I don't know. I've heard people say, you like that book. I don't know why, because it really is one of the most important books I've ever come across. It's the book of poetry and the poems, each poem is about um, a subject like um, love. There's one about love. There's one about having children. There's one about marriage about money, about desire. How long Um, are they? A couple pages long. And we hear there's one on love, marriage, children, giving, eating and drinking, work, joy and sorrow, houses, clothes, buying and selling, crime and punishment, laws, freedom, reason and passion, pain, self-knowledge, teaching, friendship, talking, and time. And, oh, more, good and evil, prayer, pleasure, beauty, religion, death. And, I felt like I felt like this was the Bible in poetry form and the stuff that you're supposed to, and the way you're supposed to be living because he's, he's very uh, spiritual Khalil Gibran and his writing is very much about your higher self or higher power, but he's basically, says things like in his poetry about marriage he says um an oak and an elm grow not in each other's shadow meaning one person in the marriage can't be more important than the other so if the oak shadows the elm the elm can't grow vice versa stuff like that's very simple beautifully written theories about how to be healthy and spiritual and live your best life really Um, Book blew me away. I think I rewrote every single poem into my Bible, which is stupid. I should have just have said, and the book, The Prophet. <laughs> but <laughs> I just kept putting stuff in there, or at least portions of them. Or sometimes I'd start writing portions of them and I'd go, nope, I just got to write the whole thing because the whole thing is not the same. If you just pull this out,
0: but, I have the same um, thing. I have, a, I have two books that I, I highlighted if you want to go through those after you're done with your books.
1: Yeah, yeah totally. I
0: have chunks that I'm like, okay, I have to read this whole chunk,
1: the whole chunk. Yeah, this book was like this, like, there's a poetry about children, which I think is really beautiful. Um, It basically says, they're not, they don't belong to you. They go through you. Mm. And you are a vessel for them. But they don't belong to you. They're not your property. And you don't basically saying you don't get to make them into who you want them to be. They are who they are. And that is your privilege. And there's just every single poem in the whole book, every poem, I was like, wow. Like this is what the essence of what my preacher meant. If you took out the, you know, that you were born, you were born of sin and you shall repent the rest of your days. I don't want that. I don't believe that. I don't believe God is an angry God. I believe God says you love your children and you ask who are they and they become who they are and you support them and you discipline them, but that's who you are. And that's kind of in this book, the prophet. So for me, it kind of boiled down what I believe about the Bible really. Um, Even though he doesn't reference the Bible, this has nothing to do with the Bible. That's what I got from it. It's a really good book.
0: That's pretty cool. It's like a, (laughs) 21st century version of the bible
1: sort of maybe a 20th century i don't remember when he lived he was i think he wrote this book like in 1920 oh wow um the prophet 1923
0: wow yeah pretty crazy huh well a hundred years later it all pertains
1: Oh, here, your children are not your children. They are the sons and daughters of life's longing for itself. They come through you, but not from you. And though they are with you, yet they belong not to you. You may give them your love, but not your thoughts. For they have their own thoughts. You may house their bodies, but not their souls. For their souls dwell in the house of tomorrow, which you cannot visit, not even in your dreams. Goes on and on. It just gave me chills. It's um, such a great book.
0: Life's longing for itself.
1: Right. It's beautifully written. He's an amazing poet. And I just, I read this book over and over and over again and go, oh my God, he's such a good writer. That's so beautifully expressed.
0: I love that line. Life's longing for itself. Life wants to live through you.
1: Yes, it does. And you denying who you are or your best self is not what, not what your life is supposed to be. I think that's another thing I got from this book. You're supposed to be all these beautiful things.
0: That's really cool.
1: Okay. Next book. God, it's been so long since I've read this book. It is the seven spiritual laws of success. But this book is all in my Bible. This is another kind of a look. I have my little maiden name in it. Leanne Kemp. (laughs) So I wouldn't lose my book, I guess. (laughs) But in here he talks about kind of, well, the laws of life, the law of giving, the law of karma, the law of uh, detachment. Here's the law of intention. Um, the law of least effort. It's, it's really a great book um, about kind of doing the right thing and knowing when you're on the right path and how the universe has rules, right? There are rules to the universe. You can't be a bad person and expect good things from the universe. It doesn't work like that. And you can't say, you can't, how you speak to the universe Determines how the universe speaks to you. So if you say, "I'm not good enough," over and over again in your head, and expect the universe to deliver, or in like the first one of scarcity, "I don't have enough," then the universe hears, "I don't have enough," so they don't give you any more. So there's definite, definite laws of spirituality and of the world, and I think he breaks these down very nicely. And yeah, it's like
0: it's like the secret, right? The law of attraction. Yes. It's the same exact thing. I, I believe in it.
1: I do, hundred percent. I believe in it, hundred percent. I do too. All right, it's, next one.
0: It's the most powerful thing in my life. In fact, and I feel like I am powerful because I can manifest things into my life out of yes. what seems like thin air, but it's not thin air. It's just it's just intention. It's, it's projection. Yeah, it's intention and projection and 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 focus. A lot of people have a hard time focusing because there's so many distractions, but if you can focus on it, it doesn't even have to be a goal. It can just be money's going to come my way. But visualizing is also very important. And vis- visualizing realistically, mm-hmm. if I say, I really want to buy a Ferrari. Yeah what does that realistically look like for me? Okay. I'm going to have to make a lot more money. I'm going to, um, have to live somewhere else where I can park a Ferrari. You know? Yeah. So maybe I shouldn't be focusing on a Ferrari right now because that's not where I'm at in life. Right. Maybe I should focus on, uh, the next step above the car I have now. Right. Cause that's way more realistic. Okay. I can apply for a, 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 a uh, a, a cheaper um monthly payment and then now I'm able to save more money and that builds up and eventually that leads to the Ferrari. But um visualizing realistically I think is the most important thing. Um you can't just say I want a hundred million dollars every day. It doesn't No,
1: no, you know what I do? This is what I figured out a long time ago. I stopped asking for that specific stuff too. And I started saying, I don't, I want, uh, I would ask for an abundance of, of money. That's it. I would like money in abundance so that I don't have to worry about money. I just don't want to worry about money. So I'd like an abundance of money. So who am I to say what an abundance is? Yeah. I, I leave that up to God. I just don't want to worry about money. That's my intention with having abundance of money. Now your intention with having abundance of money may be so that I can give it to charity. Someone else's maybe so that I can buy a Ferrari, but you don't need to put that on the end of the ask or, or the visualization. you say, I visualize myself not worrying about money, having that worry relieved from my universe. And so I started saying, I asking for an abundance of money uh, with other things too. Obviously I'm asking for an abundance in health. I asked for an abundance. Abundance is a big word to me because if you, if you ask for health, okay. But to me, I feel like if you ask for an abundance of health, then it's like all health. I
0: yeah. want
1: yeah. abundance means for a long time and forever. Right. A lot
0: of it. Yeah. And a
1: lot of it. So same with money, same with friendships, I I ask for what I want in a way that doesn't say how I receive it. And, you know, another piece of what you were saying, I think to visualize something is one thing. But you have to believe. you, You have to believe that you have to be open to receive it. Yes. Right. So you can't say I want this abundance of money and then be like, but I'm a dirt bag. And I'm a horrible human and I shouldn't, I don't deserve that because then the universe hears that too.
0: Yeah. Don't contradict your own projections. Right. Don't contradict your own ability to receive.
1: Yes. You have to be open. You have to feel you deserve to receive what you're asking for. So for a long time, Scott used to say to me, you don't believe you deserve that. So you can ask for it all day long, but you're not gonna get it because you don't believe you deserve it. So until you deal with that, the reason why you don't believe you deserve it, you, you're you not gonna get anything. And I would be like, but I do, but I didn't. I really didn't. I didn't believe I deserved a lot for a long time.
0: How did he know that?
1: He's magic. <laughs> He's one of those people that can just see in your soul. Mm. I don't know how he does it, but he did. He was right. Um, I didn't believe I deserved it. And until I believe I deserved it, I didn't have it.
0: I don't even think people are aware of the, all the things that come out of their mouth and how it can affect their life and the lives around them.
1: I don't think so either. They
0: just spew and they don't even realize it. They don't. I'm so... I I feel like sometimes I'm too self-aware where I can beat myself up sometimes because I do think about everything that comes out of my mouth and I want to make sure that I'm positive and right. it's good and it's uplifting and yeah. Um,
1: but that's called practice.
0: practice. Because,
1: you know, at a certain age, I I did that too when I was younger. And then at a certain age, it was automatic. So yeah, it's practicing. Uh, That's what all of this is. Every single book that I've talked about, except for like trapped in the mirror is all about practicing your thought, like practicing, paying attention to your thought process and changing it so that it best fits what you believe. Right. So I may believe that, um, that, I mean, I've not believed cause that's not right. I've thought that I had a difficult childhood and, but I had, I believe that I deserved it.
0: Hmm.
1: So then you have to change that core belief. I didn't deserve that. And how you do that is really paying attention to every thought and every word that comes out of your mouth. Uh, is it self deprecating humor? can sometimes be the worst thing for you if you're trying to change a deep belief system. If that deep belief system's already changed or is in great shape, then self-deprecating humor is funny. But if you really believe I'm a shit show and you keep joking, I am a shit show, you're going to stay a shit show. You know?
0: Yeah, definitely. I've strayed away from that a little bit. I love self-deprecating humor, but, um, at a certain point, it just becomes toxic.
1: Yes, for yourself. If, yeah.
0: If you go overboard too much, and then you're just again projecting negativity about yourself. Right. Hmm.
1: Okay. Next book. We're gonna run out of time because you have to go at a certain. Oh, no, I,
0: I don't. They it got canceled.
1: Oh, it did. Yeah. Okay. I have so many books. We still may go. <laughs> <laughs>
0: anyway.
1: <laughs> The four agreements, which now is the five agreements. I have it here. You have it. I don't know what the fifth agreement is. I'll tell you. I've only read four. What's the fifth?
0: The fifth agreement is be skeptical, but learn to listen. Ah. Don't, don't believe yourself or anybody else. Use the power of doubt to question everything you hear. Is it really the truth? Listen to the intent behind the words, and you will understand the real message.
1: Interesting.
0: I have a little thing about that.
1: I see you've read that book.
0: (laughs) Boy, have I? (laughs) Oh no, that one's about doing your best.
1: Well, so for those who don't know, before you read what you're going to read, this is a book about the five agreements, right? It's a practical guide to personal freedom. The four, the, the other four agreements are be impeccable with your word, Don't take anything personally. Don't make assumptions. Always do your best. And what was the fifth one? Be skeptical, skeptical,
0: but learn to listen.
1: But learn to listen. So, I mean, awesome advice. All of these. And you'd be surprised when I was reading these. I was like, Bert Kreischer takes so many things personally. If he would just stop doing that he would feel so much better about life in general. Um, being impeccable with your word. If you say five o'clock, it's five o'clock. It's not five fifteen. And as silly as that sounds about being late, it bleeds into everything else. It bleeds into everything. Um, don't make assumptions. Bert Kreischer takes pers- things personally and makes so many assumptions. He will make assumptions based on something I've said or done that are so off the wall, and he'll get himself into a complete tizzy because he's assumed and taken personally something that he's assumed, where you go, why don't you just ask the question? Did you mean blah, blah, blah? And now you don't have to assume, you know the answer. It's super simple, yeah, and always yeah. do your best. It's kind of obvious, always do your best, right? What were you gonna yeah. read? Uh,
0: I just have a couple things to those um, rules. So, the fifth one be skeptical, but don't, but be skeptical, but learn to listen. Um, Here's some paragraphs on that. Don't believe everything you learned. Not believing yourself is a huge advantage because most of what you learned is not the truth. Everything you know, your whole reality, is nothing but symbols, but you are not that bunch of symbols that talk in your head. You know that, and that's why you are skeptical, and you don't believe yourself. If your beliefs are telling you, I'm fat, I'm ugly, I'm old, I'm a loser, I'm not good enough, I'm not strong enough, I'll never make it, then don't believe yourself because it's not true. These messages are distorted. They're nothing but lies. Once you can see the lies, you don't have to believe them. Use the power of doubt to challenge every message that you deliver to yourself. Is it really true that I'm ugly? Is it really true that I'm not good enough? Is this message real or is it virtual? Of course it's virtual. None of these messages come from the truth, from life. They come from distortions in our knowledge. The truth is there are no ugly people. There is no good enough or strong enough. There's no universal book of law where any of these judgments are true. These judgments are just agreements that humans make. Can you see the consequences of believing yourself? Believing yourself is one of the worst things you can do because you've been telling yourself lies your whole life. And if you believe all those lies, that's why your dream isn't a pleasant dream. If you believe what you tell yourself, you may use all those symbols that you learn to hurt yourself. Your personal dream may even be pure hell because believing in lies is how you create your own hell. If you're suffering, it's not because anybody is making you suffer. It's because you obey the Tyrant that's ruling your head. When the tyrant obeys you, when there's no longer a judge or a victim in your mind, you won't be suffering any longer.
1: Nice. It's very true. Very that's very cool. true. Yeah, it's very cool. Such a great book.
0: So that's what be skeptical, to learn to listen. Is don't don't believe anything because.
1: But you know that's how that's how uh, the therapist taught us to deal with eyeless anxiety.
0: Yeah. Same thing. Is this is, true?
1: Is there a monster in my closet? Right. Mm, probably not. Right. Interesting. That's really great. Thanks for reading that. Yeah. It's a good book.
0: I love this right. book. It has helped me just be a better person in general. Okay. Oh, I have one. I have a. I have a three paragraphs on on always do your best. Um, yeah. Because it is a is a it's a blanket term, but. I'm not sure that everyone knows exactly what that means. Um, This is the agreement that makes everything possible. Always do your best. You can do your best and that's it. No more, no less. Just do your best. Do, take action. How can you do your best if you don't take action? Always do your best is the agreement that everybody can do. Your best is, in fact, the only thing you can do and the best you can do doesn't mean that sometimes you give 80% another time you give 20%. You're always giving 100%. That's always your intention. It's just the it's just that your best is always changing. From one moment to the next, you are never the same. You're alive and changing all the time and your best is also changing from one moment to the next. Your best will depend on whether you're feeling physically tired or refreshed. Your best will depend on how you're feeling emotionally your best is going to change over time. And as you form the habit of practicing the four agreements, your best is going to get better.
1: It's awesome. It's true.
0: So I I have a hard time with beating myself up because I'm, I have a really high bar for being a hard worker. Mm -hmm. I, I want to always do my best and I always want to work very hard. And I, I, I take pride in the fact that I do work hard, but some days that bar for how hard I can work moves up and down. So don't beat yourself up for not being able to accomplish everything that you wanted to do today.
1: Right. Right. Cause,
0: cause that bar changes. If, and you have to if, be okay we have,
1: if we as humans have the opportunity to be punitive with ourselves, we take it. So Scott, long time ago said to me when you have that instinct to be punitive think to yourself what if this what if I were what if this mistake or whatever was made by a five-year-old how would you treat them now treat yourself that way it's not to excuse a mistake five-year-olds make terrible mistakes but you don't go you fucking asshole what an idiot you stupid piece of shit you didn't finish that one finger painting. You jerk, you know, but that's how we talk to ourselves. Yeah. So yeah. when he said that to me a long time ago, I thought I'm going to do that. So that's what I do. Not all the time. I'm not perfect. Sometimes I am hugely punitive of myself. Most of the time I go, well, that was not very nice. So how are you going to fix that? Right? Because if if I, uh, you know you really should have finished that on time like you said so how do you fix that well you apologize or you work harder today or whatever and it is it clicks into that guilt versus shame again the right. punitive is connected to shame but the guilt is is not punitive the guilt is a way of saying i'm human right
0: guilt can be taken away just like that by
1: Action, usually.
0: Action, yeah, just fixing it.
1: Yeah, action, an apology, um, completing something, whatever it is. Yeah, I don't know. I have two more self-help books, and I wonder – I have so many more books to talk about. I wonder if we should do two of these episodes. I don't know. This one I've talked about many times. Hi, roommate in the back.
0: Hi. That's John. Hi, John. Hi. He's the one who's – M- keeping me not alone during this quarantine because we both will be very alone. <laughs>
1: right oh wow! Yeah. Um. So this is "You Can Heal Your Life" by Louise Hay. I've talked about this so many times. She is a woman who had um cancer a long time ago. She wrote this book in like eighty two or something. Let's see. Um eighty two. Um, she had was diagnosed with cancer, and she thought to herself, "I wonder how much." My inner dialogue affects my illness. So I'm going to really pay attention to how I'm talking to myself and see if I can fix it and see if that will affect my cancer. She also changed her diet. She started eating, you know, all fresh fruits and vegetables and, and I think lean protein. Um, And she started doing yoga and she relieved stress from her life and the cancer went away and never came back. And she lived to be quite an old lady. Uh, I think she died probably like six years ago or something. So, um, and when she wrote this book, she was not young, not super young. You see a picture of her, she's probably in her forties. So this book is just awesome. I started rereading it again because it's, it's what she does is she kind of wants you to read the book through once. And then wants you to read the book through again as like a workbook. So at the end of every chapter, she'll talk about something in the chapter like this chapter is what is the problem? So my body doesn't work. My relationship doesn't work. My finances don't work. She writes a little about my life doesn't work. And then she says, well, what's happening in your life? And then what are you saying to yourself? I should be this. I should have more money. I should have a husband. I should have a nice car. I should have a wife. And then have you look at each of those statements and say, Exactly what he said in the four, five grimace, but should I, or do I want that? Okay. Now how do I change my inner dialogue to be loving and not so sabotaging or, or, or judgmental? I should, that means you're failing because you don't. So at the end of each chapter, she gives you an affirmation where she writes it in I form, like I am empowered. Let me see, I'll read one really quick or read part of one. Um, this one is about, oh wow, that's a little obscure. Let's see if I can find one that's a little less resistance to change. Okay, this, this chapter was about resistance to change. And she wrote in the end, this is your affirmation that you're supposed to do for like a week, every day for a week. In the infinity of life where I am, all is perfect, whole, and complete. I see any resistance patterns within me only as something else to release. They have no power over me. I am the power in my world. I flow with the changes taking place in my life as best I can. I approve of myself and the way I am changing. I am doing the best I can. Each day gets easier. I rejoice that I am in the rhythm and flow of my ever-changing life today is a wonderful day. I choose to make it so. All is well in my world. I think she ends all of them with, yeah, she ends every affirmation with all is well in my world. So she she really gives you a tool, right? That affirmation is a tool of how to talk to yourself, um, especially if there's something in particular you're struggling with. There's definitely a chapter in that book that deals with it. She also has this chart looks like this, in this book. So if you have something wrong, like if you have, let's see. Um, let us see one that's pretty easy to figure out.
0: I have anxiety.
1: Okay, let's look at anxiety. Anxiety.
0: I have anxiety.
1: Anxiety. Anxiety. She says what causes anxiety metaphysically is not trusting the flow and the process of life.
0: Yep.
1: So, your affirmation, what you should say to yourself, is I love and approve of myself, and I trust the process of life. I am safe. So, she recommends that you write that affirmation on your mirror, on your rearview mirror, in your car. Put it in your wallet put it on your fridge put it on your tv remote so that you're constantly just reading that and then it becomes ingrained in how you think
0: it's yeah i have group. to i have to be skeptical of my inner dialogue uh because i can start to have anxiety but i need to just constantly ask myself is this true is, is what i'm worrying about really important enough to, to give me a stomach ache, really important enough to make me so anxious and, and on edge that I have a stomach ache. Right. And now I realize, I told you when we first started, I was like, oh, I, ugh, my tummy's not feeling very well. But like 10 minutes into it, my stomach was fine. Right. I, I must have just having a, must have just been having a little bit of anxiety. Exactly. But that's as bad as it gets for me now. Right, um, which is really good. I've really put a lot of work in the last few years to to take it from being crippled on the toilet, throwing up from straight up thoughts and anxiety and Right. life circumstances that can be explained and, and, and can be fixed, but I was crippled by it. So mm. I, I need to keep, uh, I, I got on medication and then I learned how to, work my way off of the medication and just straight up do it with my mind. Like
1: that's great.
0: Yeah. And there's like those steps and those affirmations and, and being skeptical of your own thoughts. Those, those have uh, helped me a lot. That's awesome.
1: So I just realized there's another book I don't have in my stack. It's called you are a badass by Jen Sincero, S I N C E R O. Oh, that book was so good. She It's a really a book saying you can do whatever the fuck you want to do. It's a great book. I've given that book to several people, and they've all loved it. You are a badass. And then she also says, You are a badass with money, which was good also. Uh, you know what I liked about that book is she talks a lot about her personal experience and her, you know, failures and how they helped her become who she is. Really great book. But here's the last book on my self-help train. Don't kill me, people, for this book. It's pretty bad. (laughs) Men are from Mars. Women are from Venus. I hated this book when I read it. I felt this guy, John Gray, was the biggest misogynist. He hated women. He would say things like, men need cave time women need to shop they just need to shop and I was like are you a fucking idiot but I have to tell you (laughs) there are several principles in this book that have helped me in my marriage one of them is uh, the theory of cave time some people need cave time in his book he says men need cave time women need social time which he called shopping, which I took offense to, but whatever. But he's right about the theory. I need cave time. Bert needs shopping. So for me, I had him read this book too when we first got married because I thought this is a this is like a shortcut in language for me to say, I need some cave time to know that I don't want to not spend time with Bert. I need to be by myself to recharge my batteries and to understand that he needed to go shopping, which means he needs to go hang out with people. That's something I learned in this book. Another thing I learned in this book is he says, men are problem solvers. Women are talkers. They're ruminators sort of. They like to turn a problem over and over again and be heard, but they don't necessarily want a solution. I don't agree with that. But what I took from it is, there are some scenarios when I just want to complain. And I'm not a complainer by nature, but sometimes I just need to get shit off my chest. And sometimes I need help. I need a solution. And to be able to say to Bert, this is one of those times I just need you to hear me. Because we read this book together, he goes, got it. And he doesn't try to help me fix it. And he doesn't try to give me a solution. He doesn't try to help me justify it. He just goes, that sucks. I totally understand why you feel that way. That's terrible. Those two things came from this book. I had to put aside every ego prick that was happening because he kept saying, well, women just need to shop and women just need to talk. They're just cha-cha-cha-cha-cha. And I was like, That's not entirely true. But I think the essence of what he's saying is sometimes a person needs to shop and sometimes a person needs to go to the cave and recuperate from life somehow. But he broke it into gender. And and at least in my family, those gender lines of what that gender needs cross because Bert's very emotional. He's very female in a lot of the way he functions. And I'm very male in a lot of the way I function. So a lot of what he described applies to both of us. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, I mean, right there, you use two of the four agreements to suss out and get what you needed to get out of that because he's using the wrong labels to describe something that can help you. So you have to go, okay, that's an old school mentality. It's just a label. So you go, okay, I'm skeptical, but I'm listening. Well, right. I think what he's saying here is this. And then yes. not taking that personally That's right. A- You're
1: right. You're right. You're so smart, Halston. That's right. So I read this book again and we book clubbed about it or something. I think we book clubbed about it on this podcast. Did we? I don't maybe we didn't. Men are maybe from Mars Moment. Just-
0: I, I you guys have brought it up brought it up before. I don't think we book clubbed it.
1: But that book is one of those books that keep those two principles have stuck with me through this whole marriage. So I guess the book has some value, but I have to tell you, I hated the book when I read it, <laughs> but that just keeps coming back. So I guess it makes it a good book, or at least there's some good information in the book.
0: Yeah. I hate it, but I still get things from it.
1: I totally got those things from it. But anyway, I have this much left, I have this much left. Do we keep going? What do you think? That's another
0: podcast. Yeah, I think so. That's a big chunk.
1: It is a big chunk. This this one is about fiction, fiction and uh, memoirs. So maybe we'll do another one about fiction and memoirs. What was your other book? I'm um, assuming one was the Four Agreements.
0: It's just a uh, anxiety and phobia workbook. Whoa! Um, That's a
1: mighty big book
0: it's a big book and I have not read it, but I have definitely skimmed through it and gotten good chunks out of it. And, uh, I took a few things after you said we were going to do this and, um, this one script for overcoming fear. I really enjoyed reading. Um, it says the important thing is not to feed fear. Not to dwell on it or give it energy. Instead, I can practice redirecting my attention to something, anything that makes me feel better. I can focus on talking to a friend, reading something uplifting, working with my hands, listening to a tape, or any number of activities that help me take my mind off fear. With practice, I become more and more adept at moving away from fearful thoughts, of not indulging in them. I begin to become master rather than victim in my mind. I learned that I have more and more choice about fear. I can step into it or out of it. And as time passes, I learn to step out of it.
1: Wow. That's great. I read a book and I don't remember what book it was. Something I read recently. Oh, I know what it was. It was the coddling of the American mind Mm
0: -hmm.
1: where they described fear I think it was fear. It was some emotion as like an elephant and a rider. The mind is the rider. The emotion is the elephant. Mm. The mind has control over the elephant, but you don't believe that because the elephant is huge. And so you think it's going to overwhelm, but actually the rider can take hold of it. You just have to practice. The rider can't hop on an elephant and just have it tamed. It has to practice The rider has to try over and over again, and then eventually it will have control over the elephant. I think that's how you have to approach anxiety maybe too, is to think of it in that way. This is, you can't just do it in one day. You have to practice seeing fear and saying, is this fear valid? And what do I do with this? If it is or isn't, what do I do? It's the same thing as that rider and elephant theory.
0: Yeah. Monster in the closet, writer of an elephant.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: You can't, uh, you can't focus so much on how big the elephant is and, and how untamed it is or how it could hurt you and other people. You have to focus on step-by-step <laughs> step taming that elephant. Yeah. Mind.
1: Yes, it's true. I thought of another book that's not on here. One more self-help book. Uh, it's already on my website. But Kathy gave me this book called Strong at the Broken Places. Yeah. That book was another book where I kept going. I, I would read a few pages and have to put it down for a couple of days because it talks about um, trauma and how trauma affects uh, how, it, how it affects you, how it affects how you think and and, um, and abuse. It's about abuse, actually. And that was a really, really powerful book to read. If you're someone who has suffered abuse. Was Witnessed Abuse? That would be a very good book to read. Strong at the Broken Places. I, I don't have that book. I pulled these books off my bookshelves, except for this one that I printed. Um, so I must have loaned that book to someone and not gotten it back. So, but it's already on my website. Anyway, what'd you think about this today?
0: It's great. Twelve books.
1: Was it twelve?
0: Twelve books. Yeah, counting Men Are from Mars women are from Venus, which is kind of a recommendation, but kind of not.
1: (laughs) It's kind of, I mean, I would say set your ego aside and your judgment aside and try to do exactly what you described. Find the information in the book, not the bullshit is that women like to shop. Shit made me so mad and it happens over and over again. That's just the one that sticks in my head where I was like, dude, are you a freaking misogynist or something? I mean, come on. This could, or maybe you haven't met Bert Kreischer. Half of this applies to Bert and not to me. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, thanks for listening to me talk about all these books. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah. Thanks for uh, doing this with me. I love, I love all this. I mean, I'm still very much a student of self-help and I'm still young and I'm still learning a lot every year and um i just want to get better i just want to get better and do better and be better
1: that's great if we all strove for that every day what a great place this would be yeah. that's all i want to do too every day and i'm a lot older than you so i still want to learn something do my best um be better do better every day and if you do that i think that you It's hard to go wrong. I think you can, but it's hard to.
0: Yeah, it's hard to go wrong, and you're only going to attract those same people in your life. And um, I mean, there's a reason we met and we connect this way. Yeah, yeah. It's because we're on the wavelength. It's the same. It's the same wavelength, and it's pretty cool when you find those people in your life when you don't have them, and they start to come into your life, and you go man, I really get a lot out of hanging out with that person. or yeah. to, And then you can go, all right, I need to have a lunch with that person um, every few weeks just because I feel so fucking good after I talk to them. Right, right. And that's very healthy.
1: Very healthy, yes. That's very not Hamal. Not Hamal. <laughs> well, I hope everybody watching enjoyed. And if uh, anybody has any question about any books, let me know. I've gotten some good suggestions for books to read. And, uh, unfortunately I have been uh, short on time. I haven't been able to read much lately, but, um, we're looking, we're working on the last bookstore. That's our next book club book. So I have started that book. It's really cute. I think it's a book for young adults and it should be a really fast read. So great for anybody who has young adults at home this summer. Um, so I'm looking forward to that book club. But thank you, Halston. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you. Namaste. Amen.
1: Namaste. I think that we should give together.